0: Welcome to today's Hemp Barons podcast, everyone. I'm host Joy Beckerman, and so excited to bring a great show to you today with Catherine Wilson, my sister from another mister, the vice president of the European Industrial Hemp Association, and just a total whiz and expert on hemp and what's going on in the European Union. But today I'd like to focus also on a call to action right here at the federal level in the United States. We need more co-sponsors, your representatives in the U.S. Congress to sign on to H.R. 8179. And that's the hemp and hemp-derived CBD Consumer Protection and Market Stabilization Act of 2020. The more folks that we can get signed on as co-sponsors, the thing about when you're doing a bill or when you're doing any type of lobbying uh, in Congress over a particular bill, the more co-sponsors you get, the more co-sponsors you get. So we really need to see uh, our representatives signing on to this bill. We've already got 17 co-sponsors and we just uh, filed the bill on September 4th. There are only 12 that show up online as it sits today as we record uh, this, as we make this recording. But there are 17 total and we need more. How can you do that? Go to HempSupporter.com. That's www.HempSupporter.com. Click the Federal Action and Resources tab. And right there, the U.S. Hemp Roundtable has made it very easy for you to click a button, fill out a few fields, and send a message. To your U.S. congressmen and women to please sign on and support HR 8179. Ultimately, we'd like to see it uh, tacked onto a must-pass bill and move forward. Another thing that's going on right now is that the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration, has opened up uh, its public comment period. We spoke about it a couple of weeks ago for its interim final rule on implementing Uh, the Farm Bill. And they are once again overreaching and abusing their authority and dipping their um, mitts into areas over which they no longer have jurisdiction. And the DEA no longer has jurisdiction over the hemp crop per the Farm Bill. As usual, they, the executive branch, are interpreting the Farm Bill's amendments to the Controlled Substances Act differently than the legislative branch intended. And now the DEA is stating that in process hemp extract which exceeds 0.3% THC which obviously happens during the process of extraction concentration is germane to extraction the this in process hemp extract that spikes above 0.3 is a temporary state it's remediated and then of course when that final product is packaged and delivered into introduced into commerce directly to consumers it is a compliant hemp extract product that does not contain greater than 0.3% THC. Well, the DEA says that in-process hemp extract during that intermediary stage of manufacturing is a controlled substance. If it spikes above 0.3, it automatically, by magic, not science, not data, not law, but by magic, becomes marijuana and therefore they get to control it. Now, understand that the impact of that is that folks handling that type of material now all of a sudden would be subject to all of the rules and regulations and registrations and tax consequences of handling a controlled substance, which is the exact opposite of what the U.S. Congress intended when it liberated hemp and its derivatives, extracts, cannabinoids, compounds, salts, isomers, etc and liberated that from the Controlled Substances Act. So we really need to get more of those public comments in, and you can go to www.hempsupporter.com. go to that same Federal Action and Resources tab, scroll all the way down to the section that says Other, and you'll be able to see the hemp roundtables, the U.S. Hemp Roundtables comments to the DEA. Grab those, copy those, submit them by October 20th. All you need to do is is Google DEA, hemp, federal register, and it's gonna come right up. Thank you so much for listening to these calls to action, guys. They're so important. It's everyone working together and engaging in the process that has gotten the results that we have gotten so far. And now that we have a seat at the table, the marathon begins and we have to fight harder than ever. So www.Hempsupporter.com, please utilize the resources that the U.S. Hemp Roundtable has in place for us as common citizens to engage in the process. And with that, I give to you another amazing activist from across the pond, Miss Catherine Wilson. Plan your vote, have a great week. Stay healthy everyone, wear your mask. Well, hello, Catherine Wilson, and welcome to Hemp Parents. Hello,
1: Joy. What an absolute pleasure to speak to you again after... We met in 2017.
0: And I have thought of you so often and so fondly since then. Our worlds intersect constantly. You are the vice president of the European Industrial Hemp Association, AHA, as it is known throughout the world and in the hemp community, as well as the managing director for Canwell. Uh, and you're joining us from across the pond today. Thank you so much for making the time.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me. It's an absolute pleasure.
0: Our passions intersect everywhere in terms of our purpose-driven lives of planetary healing and the fact that we were each bit with the hemp bug a long time ago. And as I often say, once you are bit with the hemp bug and it gets into your DNA and you start to see solutions, Everywhere. So, before we get into some of the more tedious but important regulatory issues and developments of what's happening around cannabidiol and hemp extracts in the European Union, let's talk for a minute about your hemp envision and what you are seeing around the world and what it is that, that drew you to hemp
1: being drawn to him for me was a little bit of an accident. Um, it was very unexpected. I have actually a professional past in the environment sector. I used to specialise in recycling sector for waste electrics and electronics and hazardous material recovery and I held senior positions um, as directorship and um, consultancy projects, implementing operational frameworks to bring large-scale recycling to the UK. And there came a time when it was time to do something different. And I took a little break and somehow came to hemp. And needless to say, The big problem with hemp is the only health warning it probably needs is that you're going to fall in love with it. And it's going to be very difficult to do something else once you start to understand the magnificent plant. And for me, really, it's a dual approach, obviously, through Cannawell. I came to hemp first. When a friend of mine brought me a bottle of hemp CBD oil from the US and said this stuff is cracking, try it, and I agreed. (laughs) And needless to say, that is how Cannawell eventually I was trading and selling prior, but the brand Cannawell got developed in two thousand, early two thousand fifteen, and so I just learned more and more about hemp and. For me now, it is truly about the holistic approach to the plant. The real need going forward is the utilization of the whole plant. I don't think, I appreciate that there is the great race for CBD, but I don't think it is a much, we will never grow large scale CBD fields because they will be used for different purposes. I think. What our focus really is on the more traditional food strains, the traditional European genuine industrial hemp strains for which we have historic records of human consumption for thousands of years. Yeah, one way or the other.
0: And as you well know, the, the trillion dollar industries and where we will get such a planetary healing effect are in the oil seed and fiber aspects of this plant. Yeah. And as I often say, that I it, it has to be said frequently so folks truly understand the plant that is here to meet everybody's needs. And that is human and animal nutrition, body care, nutraceuticals, pharmaceuticals, but paper, textiles, building materials, bioresins and composites. Industrial sealants and coatings, energy, supercapacitors, fuel nanotechnology, it goes on and on. And I heard you in another podcast uh, say, and it was such a fantastic analogy, and you had to apologize to the vegans and the vegetarians. Uh, But would you share with us the analogy, given that we can use every single part of the hemp plant, even its roots, which have those valuable triterpenes, could you share that analogy? Yeah,
1: the analogy was really in response to um, legislation in many European countries and the issues we are currently experiencing, which I'm sure we'll discuss in more detail later, um, that prohibit the use of the flower and on some occasions also the use of the leaves. And what otherwise a hemp farmer really is asked to do, because of course our cost of land, our cost of labour, of seeds and so on, in order for a crop to be profitable. And you know, farmers are struggling in the US as much as in the UK and Europe. It is a hard life. And so they are then asked to rear a chicken. And throw away the breast and the thigh and they can keep the wings and the bones. And that is the situation if we're only allowed to use the fiber because the fiber has to compete financially as a commodity. It it cannot be an expensive product because otherwise we'll never be able to introduce it and help industry to decarbonize their products. And I think that is a conversation we didn't have much opportunity, but, you know, there's always been discussion of what HEM can do. But of course, we are so small as an industry with such enormous potential that what we really want to do is stretch out our hands to industry and say, look, we can help you decarbonize your products, which bottom line will probably go on your balance sheet as a contribution and attract better shareholder value. Because, irrespective of what our colleagues in the US say, whether there is climate change or not isn't necessarily the topic. Because what is a fact is that we have pollution of land, sea and air. And it needs to change. And hemp can significantly contribute to change this.
0: And can improve the performance of these products. So it is not just a matter of saying decarb. It is also a matter of saying, understand that on the microscopic level, the cellulosic makeup of hemp, fiber of hemp cellulose is like nothing else in the world second only in strength and surface area to graphene and graphite whiskers and carbon nanotubes essentially so really talking about introducing um, a phenomenal plant that on every level, even the seed oil, what we continue to discover from the seed oil and even outside of the obviously nutrient dense nature of it, but in terms of its industrial potential, um, it's just, it's phenomenal what we can do to improve all of these different industries while also improving the carbon footprint. It, it is really endless. And, uh, and I know we so share that, that passion. Well, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned seed oil, and we need to look at the um,
1: the balance of the ratio of omega-3, 6 to 9 is absolutely perfect for the body. We know we need the omegas, and ideal in a world where many more people try and reduce their intake of meats. Hemp seed has up to 30% protein. That is more protein than chicken, and you know... Not everybody wants to eat lots and lots of pure hemp seeds. So what we really need to do is we need to start working with the ready-made meals industry so the hemp seeds can start to get integrated into ready-made meals, a la köfte, for example, and falafel and you know all the various foods and enrich them with a really high-grade protein um, which tastes delicious and is extremely health-promoting.
0: And as you know, that 30% protein that comprises, on average, boy, am I learning a lot about hemp seeds, ha- having seen hemp seeds now that are the size of peas coming out of China. But of that 30% protein, 60% of it on average is Edison protein, which of course is a globular protein and more digested, more easily digested by the body on top of that unique amino acid profile and the fact that there are no trypsin inhibitors. So when we, we're really absorbing and digesting that protein, as you know, it's the world's highest digestible form of protein of in the entire uh, plant and animal kingdom let's talk if if we could switch to a development um, that is so key occurring in the European Union, a little separate for the UK uh, and so you'll you'll talk about that hopefully but um let, let's talk if we could about what's happening with the classification of CBD and hemp extract and if there is any distinction there with what's happening with the European Union um, and the European Commission. If you could let us know, because, uh, of course, a big development is that there is a uh, considering cannabidiol to be a narcotic in the European Union.
1: Yes. Well, there is, of course, the mother of all (laughs) legislations, which is the UN Single Convention on Narcotics. And what we do know is in the UN Single Convention, it clearly refers to that um, the Flower and the fruiting tops of all species, cannabis, are a narcotic. And basically, industrial hemp had its head chopped off. And I think it's time hemp gets its head back.
0: Well, and the single convention, as you know, also is constantly misinterpreted. Um, and we just did uh, a three-part series with with uh, Kenzie Rubelay and uh, and Michael Kravitz on this. In that the, the single convention really was: this is controlled to the extent you're using it for medical purposes. So to the extent you're using it for food or industrial purposes, the single convention is not supposed to have any control whatsoever. Um, but it's constantly being misused and misapplied to further uh, either special interest or simply misinformed ignorant agendas of continued prohibition?
1: There's just too much fear and I think one of our key roles is to just cut through the myth and misconceptions and just help people relax and maybe this is also a generational issue. Yeah, Mm -hmm. really Eventually, this will get better, but you raised an interesting question. I would like to explain how it works with the novel food catalogue in Europe, because in 97, the EU developed a so-called novel food catalogue to protect the consumer, which is actually a very good idea, because consumer safety, and Europe is known to have some of the best food safety laws and performance in the world. So it's not reactive, it is in advance looking of what is safe to consume and in 97 a letter it was written to Hanfgesellschaft which is sort of hemp association at the time and hemp association was asked to provide statistical data of which parts of the hemp plant was actually consumed as food and it was written back um, out of I think there was 40 companies contacted, only 23 responded and the largest companies didn't respond either because everybody likes to withhold their data. But the data provided for seeds, for seed oil, for hemp flowers used in drinks and in snacks and specifically snacks made from hemp flour was sufficient that hemp was listed in the novel food catalogue with a heading that basically said most foods from this plant are permitted. And this is what guided the novel food catalogue till 2016. So when I started working with CBD oils, we thought we were covered because the hemp flowers were used in snacks, the oil, the seeds and the new supplements made with it. Now quite interestingly, we have some well-published letters now um, when asked in 98 by one of the hemp beer producers at the time, and they sent a letter to the EU confirming that hemp flowers used for brewing are a food, and further it said foods which contain parts of the hemp plant do not fall under the Novel food regulation. So, in two thousand and sixteen, as CBD oils became more popular in Europe, an additional entry was added to the novel food catalogue called cannabidiol, and that entry said, as long as the it does not contain more than is naturally present in the plant, it is a food which meant the very high-strength CBD oils weren't any longer classified as a food, and it was widely interpreted by f- food operators, including ourselves, that as long as our products do not exceed us, would be naturally present in the plant, this is okay. We did, as I and I was there myself, a presentation to all member countries. It was quite an experience to give a presentation um, in Brussels. Um, in 2018, in November, to basically show how the industry is complying and compliant in a very well-referenced presentation and document. And I I think it took them a little bit by surprise. I I, I do genuinely believe that they kind of thought that we weren't compliant. And when we showed them that the industry is compliant with the catalogue, Two months later, in January 2090, they changed the wording of the catalogue and turned the entire hemp industry non-compliant overnight.
0: I mean, this is the type of stuff that we deal with around the world. I, I If the listeners could see me as you can right now, because we can see each other recording the shaking of my head. I mean, oh my, and thank God for Ahad to, to be able to insert itself here and yeah. fight like the devil. Continue, sister. So to really understand this, in 2016, when CBD
1: was added, having been already for a few years on the market, obviously, it's an extracts mm-hmm. in which the C B D level is higher than
0: naturally present in the plant is novel. Fair enough. Okay? and And, just as a quick thing, so so folks can understand what we're we're talking about here is there's naturally occurring cannabinoids, and then there are concentrated amounts of naturally occurring yeah. cannabinoids. And concentration is is simply germane to extraction. They're going to concentrate. So now Which while they are naturally and occurring and- cannabinoids, they've concentrated. Correct.
1: So in January, 2019, they changed this entry on which this whole huge industry is built to extracts of cannabis sativa L, so industrial hemp, and derived products containing cannabinoids are considered as novel foods as a history of consumption has not been demonstrated. And that obviously took the industry a little bit as a surprise. Because we've really been supporting in Aya and saying, look, if we isolate a product and it is a pure isolate, clearly there is no history of consumption, it is novel. We will have to undertake a novel food application. But if it is used as a whole plant extract, as traditionally consumed, then it is a food. Um, there is clearly a different opinion. Um, because it needs to be remembered that the novel food catalogue is not legally binding. However, as we all know, in the world of hemp, it doesn't quite work like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, the novel food is catalog is a, is guidance. It's a position, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and and yet because of the hysteria mm-hmm. around the plant, we we are constantly having to battle for our, our rights around that.
1: Well, we follow
0: very keenly,
1: of course, what is happening in the U.S. as well, and they always seem to be very
0: similar issues. Can you tell us, so, so, and that has been, we've been contending in the European union. And I say we, because as you know, we work with folks all over the world and, and I'm director of regulatory affairs for a international hemp CBD company as well. And but this issue of not only considering them to be novel, but now doubling down and considering cannabidiol to be a narcotic. Could you? I, I know it's not good news, but let's dissect that recent development. If That's you could. Quite simple. And uh, it is basically
1: in the novel food directive, because everything is a directive first, in the directive, or you would call it an act, I think, in the US, in the directive. It states that a narcotic cannot be a food. But of course, this then leads also across to the common position that you have recently already had Kenzie and Michael on the show so clearly explaining the details of that, that if the EU permitted the same committee, the same working group permitted the hemp flower for human consumption for 22 years 23 years and then to say actually now it's a narcotic when the original act is already 60 years old is and remember it is only an opinion by the legal department at the moment so we'll see what happens with this but technically In the strictest, most um, archaic interpretation, (laughs) this could be the case. But I think we need to really look at something else. We need to apply a little bit of common sense, because in my world and in many of our world, common sense exists before law. We lead our lives by common sense, and when common sense fails, we look to law, we don't need the law to guide us. But when the law has become nonsensical, we actually need to revert to common sense. And so, <coughs> that is certainly the case with industrial hemp, and with the food, and the common position, Um, on the single convention very much expresses that because it is really to protect from addiction and misuse and abuse none or intoxication none of these criteria match hemp and just because we share some natural constituents as part of a plant family doesn't mean we're all the same
0: and in such a major way and and can you can you explain how the UK the United Kingdom which of course I believe is it uh, at the end of January of 2021 or that they will be exiting from Brexit but how how the United Kingdom is treating cannabidiol differently than the rest of the European Union or how it will once it's formally out of Brexit Yes. Well, in the UK, it has been acknowledged um, by the
1: Home Office, which is the equivalent of your DEA, that CBD in its pure form is not a controlled substance and is permitted. However, our Food Standards Agency, the FSA, have declared it and adopted the position that it is novel. Mm -hmm. And they will be accepting novel food applications as of January 21. Um, the FSA in the UK have been overall very positive in many ways towards hemp for many years and obviously work within the legal constraints, but it has they have publicly stated that companies that have a validated application for novel foods by the 31st of March will be permitted to continue to sell their products pending the outcome. Now a novel food process is a lengthy process, it will be a minimum of 18 months and probably longer. Um, To give you some idea, the Rosemary rosemary extracts novel food application at EFSA took several years, so we are expecting hemp to also take a while. Um, it'll be very important to file that application, and I, uh, we are working on a consortium application, which will be submitted both to EFSA in Brussels, so the European FSA, and to the FSA in the UK separately, to represent our members.
0: And... And so that is going to be quite a busy period, obviously, for the Food Standards Agency in the UK. Between January and that March 31st of 2021, a bunch of applications are going to come in. And I love that there's a consortium application being made by AHA for the members. That's brilliant. And then the process itself takes around 18 months um it, but as long as that application is in and and obviously i folks are doing their due diligence to move the application process forward and by that i'm i'm certain we're talking about clinical trials and safety studies with professional labs and, and researchers, etc. Is, is that correct? Yes. I mean, the current budget to cover the whole spectrum of extracts, because obviously we
1: have a wide membership. So we have various types of extracts, whether it's a distillate or an isolate. I'm not going into all the specifications right now, but to cover all the different aspects that would represent the majority of products on the market. The budget will be 3.5 million which is going to be shared between our members. Um, That will include all the various toxicology studies as requested. So we obviously start with the first 90 day study but we are expecting that further questions will be raised and we have made our members aware and strength in numbers, we can actually finance this process and so for any of the American CD companies who are potentially looking to enter the European market, or who were in Europe and are no longer able to sell and want to come back to Europe, um, joining IA is a cost-effective way because applications start at €300,000 per product.
0: It is a very expensive process and analogous to the NDIN or New Dietary Ingredient Notification Process here in the United States, uh, which is part of our Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. Uh, And like there is the novel food catalog that occurred in 1997, we had to here the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act in the United States in in the mid-90s. And as a result of that, uh, and other laws, we have this IND investigation of new drug product process, uh, but we have the NDI new dietary ingredient uh, process as concerns dietary supplements, and that too takes around 12 to 18 months to get through that process because of all the toxicology studies. Uh, one must also in panel or or put together a panel to review uh, the manuscript and those studies. And so there are lots of costs involved, somewhere around $290,000 to $350,000. That's on the very high end to get through that process for one ingredient. Um, and so fantastic that AHA is, of course, doing multiple. As you say, to represent the various products across the market. That's not just one ingredient, that's multiple. For for, in the United States, one formulation is an ingredient. So if there's a a, a substantial or even in some cases not so substantial change to that formulation, another NDIN, new dietary ingredient application, may need to be uh, filed or additional tests made. So this is not an an inexpensive. Um, endeavor in either country uh, or in the case of the European Union, um, the the entire continent. Uh, and here we have a piece of legislation that, because right now in the United States, the position, the guidance of the Food and Drug Administration here of course is that we are not allowed to market our hemp extract or cannabidiol uh, products as dietary supplements due to another, we don't, won't get into the weeds in this show due to that investigational new drug preclusion. And so we have a piece of legislation right now working its way that was just introduced in mid-September uh, through the system that would allow hemp extract and cannabidiol products, hemp derivatives, uh, to be sold and marketed as dietary supplements. Obviously, they would need to go through that NDIN process, um, which is going to be cost prohibitive for some folks. It will shake out the supply chain um, in certain respects because then manufacturers are going to want to get their hemp extract or their concentrated derivatives uh, from that are cannabinoids. From uh, processors who have gone through that NDIN um, process in order for them to have a compliant, safety approved uh, key ingredient in their cannabinoid products. So I, that's what's really coming down the pike here as well. Um, tremendous. Can you that AHA really? It's blowing my mind. I'm learning in this interview right now that AI is doing that consortium application, and I just think it's fantastic work. It's the work of a true trade association. Mm-hmm. What else are you seeing as we as we come to a close? Um, trends in the European Union around fiber and oilseed. I know there are so many developments going on. Well, very interestingly, our um, president,
1: Karen. Um, (laughs) is very supportive and understands how critical it is to look after our planet and our environment. Now, we have some very interesting issues, which um, in Europe, for example, that we have certain recycling targets. And in the past, for example, our plastic was by and large exported to Asia, with the main market being China. But China and many other Asian countries are closing their doors to receiving European waste. So, for example, in plastics alone, we produce about 26 million tons, which is a phenomenal amount of trailers. You could actually go south to north of Europe or east to west for trailers, white, bumper to bumper, which is the annual amount of plastic discarded. Wow. Now, clearly, in terms of hemp plastic, you know, we have a couple of things that are made from it and we're at the beginning. But the reality is that um, we can start Using and making the pellets and start introducing them into, for example, um, tray certain packaging materials and whatever, because it will be compostable. Ultimately, we will need to start composting unless we just all want to live on 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 landfill sites. Oh. Yeah. So I see. Van has put together a document called the Green Deal and she is committed to make Europe zero carbon emissions by 2050. In response to this at IA and um, we have written a document called Hemp, the Real Green Deal and listed all the policies and the departments and the various DGs in Brussels from the Eco-Design Directive to the Sustainable Buildings Department to DG Clima. And we really would like to talk to all of them. The document has been sent to all 1,200 MEPs. And we have a latest edition in AYA, Francesco Merizzi. He used to be the Senior Policy Lead at an association called Copacaceca, who represents all the farmers' unions and farmers in Europe. And he has come to Aya and it will be really his task to speak to all the agricultural departments, the equivalent. We don't even have a farm bill yet in Europe. And to basically share knowledge, dispel myth and start working with them because, you know, 30 years isn't long, Joy. I look at myself, I don't know where the last 30 years have gone. For 30 years for Europe to become carbon neutral, we need to get started. And hemp has a magnificent contribution, potentially a key role to play.
0: So that's our job. Absolutely, it is, and any innovations that you want to share that you're aware of going on in Europe. For me, you know, the aha, and I know you you say aha, I, uh, I say aha. Um, the European Industrial Hemp Associations conferences to me are the most enriching. They are where we really get to put our finger on the pulse, and, and believe me, I cannot wait for the United States to catch up. And in Europe, the advances between automobile parts, I mean, an entire, when we met in 2017, there was basically an entire moped on display (laughs) made of of hemp. Um, You know, that's where we really get to put our finger on the pulse of what is happening in the innovations with that very valuable uh, fiber and oil seed. So, There is a specific reason
1: on that one by the automotive sector, for example, and I'm sure this can also, this won't be as applicable in the US, but here, fuel is expensive. Our cost for fuel per gallon is expensive, plus you have emission targets. And because hemp is more durable, the fibre is more durable than steel, and um, lightweight, It increases fuel economy. It makes cars cheaper to run. So most European brands have now using in the composite inside, you know, in the door panels and whatever is hemp. But more recently, the Porsche Cayman actually is using hemp and flax, also in the doors. Um, Huge industry and very attractive. And we would hope that the US um, car market would be interested as well.
0: I understand that a Toyota plant in Kentucky, uh, Kentucky, of course, being the land of of hemp innovation in so many ways, is starting to incorporate hemp. And as you mentioned, this lighter and yet stronger material uh, that... Um, not only does it provide better fuel economy, but as you mentioned, it reduces those CO two emissions. And the European Union is under a lot more pressure than we are. I want us to be on more in under more pressure here in the United States. Certainly, California is doing its part, uh, but the entire country needs to really put pressure on us with a target for a quantifiable amount of reduction of CO two emissions in the same way that the European Union has. So just tremendous um, to be leading the way there. And, uh, and boy, can I not wait to have you back on the show, Miss Catherine. We're hoping to get Lorenza and Daniel on here uh, shortly to discuss more of these global developments and the tremendous work that the European Industrial Hemp Association is doing. Um, Wishing you so well with Cannawell. Is it safe to assume that Cannawell, if to the extent you're allowed to say, is going to be part of that consortium application for Novel Foods?
1: Well, I am a member of HIA, correct? (laughs) So
0: yes, indeed. And it's the economic way to go.
1: Every member of ia will be automatically part of the consortium. It is obligatory for members. And it is a bit like in the insurance industry, that if you have anything to do with hemp, so if you're a grower, you will also benefit. If you um, are a primary processor, if you're a blender, if you're a brand, everybody pays their share, which makes it so affordable.
0: Absolutely. And that, and therein lies the real message of hemp, which is cooperation. That's right. Cooperation. The only thing that is going to save humankind is cooperation. And you're living and breathing it there in the European Union. We're taking notes. So grateful for, for the shining example. Um, and may we do as well for the hemp industry here as you folks are doing in Europe. Catherine, it's so wonderful to have you on the show again. We can't wait to have you back. I'm just sending my, my deepest gratitude and admiration for all the work that you, you folks are doing.
1: Ah, thank you so much, Joy, for inviting us. And I look forward to it. And wishing all my colleagues in the U.S. all the very best as well. We're all in
0: this together. And it's a small blue marble planet we've got. Thank you, Miss Catherine. All the best. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Infused, a cannabis talk show, is a -a one-of-a-kind look inside the cannabis industry. Meet the amazing people who make cannabis businesses bloom as they join host Nick with Francesca and Mike for creative cannabis conversations. Get an honest look at the business of cannabis, including trends, Best and worst practices, products, education, and advocacy. Whether you're of curious or running a cannabis, Infused has canna-conversations that count. Infused is available on YouTube and is now streaming as part of the PodConnects network.